Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our ministry when you visit walkintruth.com. Now, here's Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew chapter 11, verses 16 through 24, called, To What Shall I Compare This Generation? Matthew 11, picking it up at verse 16. I'm reading from the New American Standard Version of the Bible. Jesus is speaking. But to what shall I compare this generation? There's our title for today. It is like children sitting in the marketplaces who call out to other children and say, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, that's John the Baptist, and they say, he has a demon. The son of man, that's Christ, came eating and drinking, and they say, behold, a gluttonous man and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is vindicated by her deeds. Then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles were done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles had occurred in Tyre and Sidon, which occurred in you, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Nevertheless, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will descend to Hades. For if the miracles had occurred in Sodom, which occurred in you, it would have remained to this day. Nevertheless, I say to you, It will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this was this way was well pleasing in your sight. All things have been handed over to me by my father. No one knows the son except the father, nor does anyone know the father except the son and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. And then this famous invitation. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You can have a seat. Well, Lord, as we consider these profound verses... And we look at a a section where you pronounce a woe on three of the Jewish cities where you did most of your miracles. It is certainly a sobering text. And yet we cannot disconnect it from the invitation that you give at the end of the chapter. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. In other words, repent and turn to the Messiah. And Lord, there are really a couple of audiences in mind here, ones that uh, would not turn, ones that would not dance to the music or cry to the dirge. And yet there were others there, the apostles and others, who did come to you and found ultimate healing and rest for their souls. And Lord, the invitation stands to today. And next week we'll look at that beautiful invitation, but this week we're going to look at some hard stuff some stuff where you pronounce a woe on cities where you spent a ton of time. 
And there's application for us in our age as well, Lord, because we live in a privileged country where the gospel was the foundation of the nation and where on the airwaves, day after day, there's preaching that goes out on television, radio, and other places. We've been in a privileged position, and with much privilege comes much responsibility. To much is given, much more will be required. So may we have ears to hear what you would say to us. May we have a heart to respond to what the Spirit would say to the church in our age. Would you give us both understanding and application to the text, Lord? May you be pleased by the way that we respond to it, I pray. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. Amen. To what shall we compare this generation? Well, that is the question that Jesus asked of his generation. And he used an image that they're like children sitting in the marketplaces who call out to other children and say, we played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not mourn. Now, the traditional interpretation of this particular uh, illustration is that Jesus was the one that played the flute and John was the one that sang the dirge. John came, if you remember, in sackcloth and ashes, if you will. He had a camel's hair garment on. He lived in the wilderness. He ate locusts and wild honey, a very limited diet. And scholars would say John led an ascetic life. He, he was a man set aside to not participate in the culture. And if you've studied anything on John the Baptist, you know that John really took a Nazarite vow from the time he was born So he did not cut his hair. He did not drink wine. And when he showed up and did his ministry, just about a little bit before Jesus was introduced to the nation, he called the nation to repentance. He he sang the sad song. He sang the funeral songs, if you will, the dirge. Repent and prepare the way of the Lord. Make smooth his paths. And John was a serious preacher. And you remember that John has ended up in a dungeon. He's in prison right now in the setting in which we study because he called out Herod, the wicked king who was married to his brother's wife. And that got John put in a dungeon. And John had questions. And if you're with us last week, John asked those questions through his disciples. And the disciples of John came to Jesus and said, are you the expected one or should we look for someone else? And Jesus appealed to Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61. And he said, well, go back and tell John what you see. The deaf are hearing, the blind are seeing, the, de- the uh, lame are walking, the dead are raised. Blessed is he who does not take offense at me. And so John the Baptist had a word of encouragement with which he could ground his understanding of Messiah within the Old Testament theology, if you will. John could read Isaiah 35 and know Jesus was demonstrating that he was the Messiah by opening deaf ears, raising the dead, opening the eyes of the blind, touching lepers, etc. And so Jesus gives this word of encouragement. Yes, I am the Messiah and I came playing the music of the joy of salvation. In Isaiah 61, when Jesus is in his own hometown, this is ahead of us in the Gospel of Matthew, but it's in Luke 4, In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus opened the scroll of Isaiah. And he said, the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me. And he goes on and he says to preach the Gospel to the poor, to open up prison doors, spiritually speaking, if you will, 
to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. It was the time of the Lord's favor. The Messiah had come to the long-anticipated you know, uh, people of Israel. They were waiting. They were wondering, when would he come? And here he was. This was the day of favor. And you remember right there, Jesus stopped at that reading And he didn't read, and the day of vengeance of our God. If you go back and read Isaiah 61, there's both the favor of the Lord and the vengeance of the Lord. Now, John was probably wondering when the vengeance part was going to happen because he was in a dungeon under a wicked king. And he probably thought, you know what? If he was like a lot of people of that day, Jesus is going to set up his kingdom on the throne of David. He's going to overturn the wicked Romans, get them out of our land. He's going to open the literal prison cell so I can get out of here. And we're going to celebrate in the kingdom of God. But Jesus was going into places, kind of unexpected places. He was at, we've jokingly said, IRS parties, remember, at the tax collector's house. He was eating with them, drinking with them. He was, he, uh, reached out to the woman at the well. He would do a lot of different things to touch lepers and be with those kind of outcasts from the religious elite of the day. And the religious elite stood there and watched what Jesus did, and they were unhappy. They said, oh, he's a gluttonous man. Look at him eating. He he doesn't even fast on Tuesdays and Thursdays like us religious people do. (laughs) How could he be the Messiah? And look, he drinks wine. His first miracle was turning water into wine. So he was there participating. I remember some years ago, I was at uh, near 6th Street, near the Carl's Jr. right off the freeway. And uh, I tried to witness to a man who was riding on a bike. And it was clear, clear that he was homeless. And he asked me a question about drinking. And it was clear that he was partaking in alcohol as well. And he said, well, you're a Christian. Well, you know, Jesus drank. And I said, yeah, so what's the relevance of that? Well, don't you think that Jesus, you know, kind of crossed the line sometimes? And I was like, no, sir. He wouldn't break his own word. The Bible says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. So no, nice try. But that's not going to fly. But that's kind of what he was hanging his hat on. And some people had come to conclusions that Jesus was overdoing it. He was too much with the people, too much involved in the world, too much sitting with the sinners and participating in the world. And by contrast, John was too serious. Out there in the wilderness, only eating locusts and wild honey. Give me a break, man. Chill out, John. Look at, look at the clothes that he wears. Repent! You know, kind of wild-eyed preacher. That dude's a little too serious. Calm down, man. <laughs> right? And here's what you'll find. When someone is closed off to God, you can't please them by participation, and you can't please them by abstinence. And Walter Martin famously said, Jesus couldn't please the world by participation, John the Baptist couldn't please it by abstinence, so don't think that you're going to please it as well. And here's what happens with skeptics. Skeptics will have a list of objections, but the question is always, are their objections real?
Hey, listening family, this is Pastor Michael. I want to tell you about a very special event that we're hosting at the church where I serve as senior pastor. It's called Living Truth Christian Fellowship right here in the city of Corona in what's called the IE, the Inland Empire. Hey, we're hosting, I think this is the third annual Dare to Defend Apologetics Conference. It's entitled Losing Our Humanity, How a Culture Unmoored from Faith is Drifting Away from Virtue. I don't think I have to tell you of the crazy things that have been going on in the culture with so many different categories, including marriage, sexuality, so many different things. And how do we make sense of it? And how do we counter it and even speak to the culture? That's what this weekend's all about. It's the Dare to Defend Apologetics Conference. I'll tell you, it's some of the top apologetic speakers in the Christian world gathering in one place for a Friday night. And an all-day Saturday, there's a lunch included. It's an exciting weekend to bring friends to. There's early bird pricing. It's the Dare to Defend Apologetics Conference, March 1st and 2nd, a Friday night and a Saturday. And there's even going to be a panel discussion where you can ask some questions at the end of the weekend. Why don't you check it out today? You can link from our website to the Dare to Defend site. Go to walkintruth.com. Look for that link at the top of our site, walkintruth.com, and you can link right there, sign up, bring some friends, and grow in your most holy faith. God bless you. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook or Instagram. Just do a search for Walk in Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. Jesus couldn't please the world by participation. John the Baptist couldn't please it by abstinence. So don't think that you're going to please it as well. And here's what happens with skeptics. Skeptics will have a list of objections, but the question is always, are their objections real? Have you ever had a conversation with someone and they give you their list of why they're not a believer? And let's just say that you had the ability to remove some objections, like you've studied some apologetics or you're often involved in evangelism, and you try to remove obstacles. Let me ask you, if you remove four or five obstacles from that friend, did they just drop on their knees, repent, and come to Jesus Christ? A couple of years ago, uh, on a Resurrection Sunday, I anticipated that we would have the CEOs uh, attend, Christmas and Easter only attenders. That's a CEO in the... Okay, and I wasn't trying to be mean to them, but I I did a message that included a lot of content from a book by Lee Strobel called The Case for Miracles. And if you were here, you will recall this. I played an audio recording of a pastor who had suffered damage to his vocal cords. And in the middle of a sermon, he was healed. His voice comes back to normal. And some of you remember, he was basically croaking out a message, like squeaking could barely even be heard. They had to put the microphone right up to his mouth just to hear him. And in the middle of the message, the Lord heals his voice. And then I gave miracle after miracle story, probably four or five different, you know, uh, call them modern miracle accounts that have been well-documented, etc. But I would ask you the question, how many of those visitors on that Resurrection Sunday do you think came back the following Sunday? Now, maybe a few of them did, but I have a feeling that the, ho- the most of them did not come back, even though I actually shared modern-day miracle accounts and gave them an evidence of an actual one they could hear. Do you know why I'm bringing this out? Here's why. Because miracles don't convert people. 
Jesus is about to say that the people of these three Jewish cities saw more miracles than the Bible even documents. The Bible says in John 21 that if everything that Jesus uh, did was recorded, even the libraries of the whole world could not hold the content. There's much, much more that Jesus did when he was here. And perhaps we'll hear of those miracle stories when we're finally with the Lord in the kingdom of God. I don't know. But my point is simply this. John couldn't please them with his ministry and neither could Jesus please them. And some people will not be pleased no matter what you give them because that's not the issue. The issue is they're hanging their hat on their objections so that they don't need to repent or they think they don't need to repent. And Jesus is going to make an argument for the more you hear, the more light you're given, the more accountable you are. And I want you to think at the beginning of this message about the country in which you and I live. The United States of America has been a very privileged nation. Our first president laid his hand on the Bible unapologetically and prayed to God. And he knew that our form of government could only work by a people that were governed by a higher authority, that is God Almighty. And they unashamedly at continental congresses and so forth spent hours in prayer over this nation. But here we are today and we have to ask some questions about our nation and how are we responding to the light that we've been given. I'll pause on that just for a second so we can come back to the text. But there's John in prison and he's reeling from all that's happened to him and Jesus begins to say all these good things about John, that he was a prophet, indeed more than a prophet, and he begins to you know, extol what John did. And then he says these words. Look back just for a second. For all the prophets, verse 13, and the law prophesied until John. John was the bridge, if you will, from the old to the new covenant. And if you care to accept it, he, John himself, is Elijah who was to come If you're taking notes, write down Malachi 4, 5, and 6. And then he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, if you were with us last week, I spent a good amount of time talking about how John the Baptist, according to Jesus, that's Jesus' interpretation, is the Elijah who was to come from Malachi 3, 1 and Malachi 4, verses 5 and 6. What is that? What's the significance of that? Well, the Jewish people were waiting for this Elijah to come to announce the arrival of the Messiah. And Jesus is saying, John is Elijah in quotes. Therefore, that's more evidence that I am the Messiah. Now, we also made an argument that there's most likely an Elijah-like figure to come in the last days before the second coming of the Lord. But here we're just looking at this immediate context And Jesus says, John is Elijah to come, and that makes you even more accountable to who I am. But there's John in prison. And before we close the book on John just for a second, John's still wondering, right? What do you think John's biggest question must have been? Probably something like this. When is judgment coming? I preached that the axe was at the root in Matthew 3.10 and that the Messiah was going to burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. When is that coming? I'm hearing about your great miracles. I'm hearing about the things that you are doing, but how about the judgment day? See, you don't want judgment day when you're sitting on a beach, but if you're in a prison, you want judgment day. Amen? 
Kind of depends. We, we go back and forth. We say Maranatha one day, and then, oh, Lord, could you put off your coming for a while on another day? Well, John was wondering about the judgment piece, and this is what it says in Revelation 6, 9. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out, Revelation 6.10, with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? This is the famous souls underneath the altar in Revelation 6.9. And their singular question is, when are you going to avenge our martyr's blood? And they're pictured up in heaven asking God. And God says to them, wait a little while longer until the full number of the, the saints comes in and dies in this way as well. God's even sovereign over that, as hard as it may be to understand. And so there's John and Jesus now shifting to the generation, says, well, they're like kids who, when the flute was played, think of wedding music, they didn't dance, verse 17. When the dirge was sung by John, they wouldn't mourn. They just couldn't be pleased. You've been listening to To What Shall I Compare This Generation? Part 1 on Walk in Truth. That was Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew eleven sixteen through 24. If you missed any part of today's program, Walk in Truth is on Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and many more podcast apps. Listen for free to Pastor Michael's teachings in more books of the Bible. We would also love to hear from you. You can email Pastor Michael with your questions you may have from his teachings today, or maybe you have a question about something else, or need encouragement, or prayer. Maybe you'd like to share how Pastor Michael's teachings have affected you. You can email Pastor Michael at contact at walkintruth.com. That's contact at walkintruth.com. You can also find our mailing address on walkintruth.com. Now here's Pastor Michael with a final word. Well, the way that you can paraphrase what Jesus said to his generation is we played the, the dance music, you know, the wedding music, if you will, the, the happy stuff and you wouldn't get on the dance floor. We played the dirge, the sad song at the funeral or memorial service and you wouldn't, you wouldn't cry. What else do we need to do, you know? And you may be asking, well, if even a miracle won't convert someone I'm praying for, If they won't get on board either way, should I just throw up my hands? Should I just give up? And there are some people who think, well, it's all pre-planned anyway, so my efforts or my prayers may not matter. I, I don't hold that view. I see places in Scripture where Paul is pleading with people from morning until evening, trying to persuade and convince, praying. Jesus, we just studied this in on a Sunday morning, Jesus went back to an area called the Decapolis after they asked him to leave. He had planted seeds with the demoniac delivering him, told him to stay, to share his story. And Jesus came back and there was an amazing revival. A ton of healings went on and Jesus fed the 4,000. That's in Matthew chapter 15. And so here's my point. My point is that don't give up. Even if you look at your own age group and your generation and you think, oh, you know, uh, I'm the only Christian around. I'm the only one. No, you're not. I mean, there's plenty. In fact, there's some pretty promising recent articles coming out about the younger generations and their commitment to 
getting back to church and giving to the kingdom of God. So don't lose heart. God can move in every generation. Don't give up on yours. Don't give up on yourself. And don't give up on praying for those that are not quite there yet. This is Walk in Truth. This is Pastor Michael Lance. Hey, if we can pray for you, if you, maybe you have a friend that you'd asked us to pray for, or maybe you're going through something as well, a couple ways to reach out to us. We have a website. It's called walkintruth.com. If you send us a prayer request or a message through the site, it gets to us. We try to respond to every one of them, sometimes faster, sometimes a little slower. But we'll make sure we pray for you or try to respond to you. We also have a number, 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. And we have our precious listening family take advantage of that number Tuesday through Friday, about 9 to 4 Pacific time. Pastors available to speak with you, pray with you, encourage you. 844-48-TRUTH. Those are a few ways to reach out to us. I hope you do. And Lord willing, I'll meet you right here tomorrow. As a thank you for your support, we've created the Walk in Truth app. If you'd like to become a Walk in Truth partner, any amount is appreciated. You can now give on the Walk in Truth app or visit walkintruth.com. And join us tomorrow for part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in Matthew eleven sixteen through 24, called, To What Shall I Compare This Generation? Lazarus! Come forth, and the dead man comes out of the tomb. Can you imagine standing at a cemetery and see that happen? Would you believe that the guy who called to the other side of the grave had some power? Would you believe he was the Messiah? You know what the religious leaders did after that? I'm Mike Massaro. On behalf of Pastor Michael Lance and Living Truth Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people.